0: Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chadwick. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle-Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen welcomes Marshall Lyles for part one of their two-part discussion on Lyles' work with San Therapy. Part two will be released on October 13th.
1: Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I am so happy to be back with you again today, joining you from Chaddock, and I am your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter. Well, today's interview is going to be a real treat. Um, I am going to be interviewing Marshall Lyles, and let me tell you a little bit about him. Um, He is an LMFT and supervisor, an LPC and supervisor. Supervisor, an RPT and supervisor, and and Andrea approved consultant. Whoa, I guess there's like nothing that Marshall Lyles can't supervise you with. He'll, uh, that's quite a list of credentials there. Um, he's got almost 20 years of practice in family and play therapy, drawing on lessons from working with attachment and trauma in a variety of mental health settings. And he regularly teaches sand tray therapy and attachment and informed family work around the globe in addition to authoring works in these areas. He's also a faculty member at Texas State University's Institute for Play Therapy San Trey Certification Program and that is what we're going to be talking with him about today, San Trey. Um, You can connect with him at www.marshalliles.com and we will let you know that again when we're finished with the podcast. But what we're going to be talking about today is Assessing Internal Working Models in Sand So Marshall will be here with us in just a minute. All right, everybody. I am here with Marshall. Hello, Marshall. Thank you for joining us today.
2: Thanks for having me, Karen.
1: I had to chuckle a little bit uh, before you came on when I was doing your bio like you're a supervisor in everything that there is like
2: yeah. it's, it's it's really really obnoxious
1: so, so if there's anything that we don't know what to do or need help with anything at all we can contact you right because you know it's going to be under one of those so
2: we, we could fill up a podcast talking about nothing more than please what I'm not equipped to supervise you <laughs>
1: But All right. I
2: do feel really fortunate.
1: Well, good. Well, thank you for being here today on the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. And as I said, I shared a little bit of your formal bio, but I often like to ask guests if there's anything on a more personal level that they would be interested in sharing that has drawn them to attachment theory and to this type of work.
2: Yeah. You know, I I think there are the factors that, Draw you to attachment theory based work that are outside of your awareness when you choose the profession initially. And then there are the factors that you know you had some degree of conscious choice over. Um, so the ones that I was conscious of is I knew I wanted to work with whole families as much as possible, and that that was going to require having some sort of framework of of conceptualizing what's alive in the room uh, of not just when you um, bring multiple people together, but in their own inner worlds, you know, how do you let the complicated be complicated as you um, try to find ways to create relational pathways between the two as well as within the individuals. And and so attachment theory always made sense um, for that part of my my goal. But, you know, I definitely was not fully aware of what all I was trying to personally work out whenever I was um, being drawn to attachment theory. I, I've, I've talked about this many times with people before, but um, I'm a child that comes from um, a medically fragile background. I grew up with muscular dystrophy. And, and so uh, there were, you know, just layers of complexity in the way that I came into both woundedness and resilience in this world and um, not fully understanding when I began this career that you could have a perfectly lovely family, but certain circumstances would make it impossible for, um, you know, needs to be met in a way that, that gave you all the security in life that you might've had otherwise. And, and so I, I, I felt really overwhelmed and then relieved um, as I journeyed through understanding how my personal was going to get to be resolved because of this budding awareness.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So our topic today is a fascinating one, assessing internal working models through sand tray. Um, And our listeners may not know, I'll share it now. I have a bit of a obsession right now with Santray so this is so fun for me to be talking with you I'm a newbie you know learning more about Santray and um obsessively and compulsively collecting miniatures you know and I think this is like you know part part of the initiation into the Santray world um anyway uh so I'm so excited about this topic um and yep. what you have to share about it? Oh,
2: I'm I'm so glad that that you have developed a passion for it. And as we joked the other day, I know, but there is a santre induced compulsive behavior disorder that <laughs> all of us have. I, I, I'm all. in the
1: throes of it. I'm. I'm really- need help here oh gosh i can't go anywhere without thinking could that be a miniature or is there a section here where a miniature could be found
2: (laughs) they surround you it is it is it is constant you know you will not go to a thai restaurant without looking at that little space behind the cashier and thinking do they sell those is that rude to ask. Can I cross that barrier? It will be everywhere you will look for the rest of your life, you will see the- oh,
1: good. So anyway, it's fun. Um, and I'm glad to be talking with you about it. And you know, um, we are the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. But just in case someone's not real familiar with internal working models, maybe we ought to start out just briefly explaining that concept. I'll I hand it over to you to, to share your uh, way of speaking about
2: that Marshall. I love talking about Bowlby's not just brilliance but bravery and bringing concepts into the field of psychology um, at a time when the community was not largely receptive and so these things came at personal cost to him um, to be able, you know, to put words to the convictions and and uh, I I feel grateful for our pioneers like like him and Ainsworth who who decided these are not um, touchy feely hocus pocus ideas. This is real science that deserves to be leaned into and explored. And and the fact that he came to internal working model largely just based on observation is really unbelievable to me. Yeah. But the way that I think about that original construct is that we are born into this world with um, an inherent relational neediness that is true across humanity. But then the way that that neediness gets shaped into thoughts, thoughts, feelings, behavior patterns, personality also has to do with the relational environment that receives it. And and so the particular mashup of someone's presentation of needs as an infant and the environment that shows up to either meet or not meet those needs creates this um, blueprint inside of a human that they don't even necessarily know they carry around for the rest of their lives that influences um, all of those moments when they just think they're accurately predicting the next moment, that they don't know that their past is showing up in every second, coloring how they're perceiving what's happening and what they believe is about to go down. And that's, that's my favorite part of attachment theory is coming into ways that allow people a gentle connection to that sort of awareness.
1: Yes, and I think you know, um, as you're saying, and, and another way of maybe saying some of what you said is that these models can be unconscious to us, and that is part of what makes sand tray such an ideal modality for exploring that. Because you know, even though I'm a novice, I'm understanding that that the tray is tapping the tray is the unconscious, and and you know, this is what we're we're tapping into, um, and it if you've done any sand tray yourself, as I have, it's very clear that that is what happens. Um, Cause things come up in there that you kind of didn't think were going to come up. (laughs) Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. There always are those little moments of surprise. and, And it's even hard to predict for some people. It starts just when they put their hands in the sand and it might be empty you know, and for others, it's when they first approach the shea, the the shelves of miniatures, and they they are kind of um, for the first time aware of how metaphor and images can impact them. And for others, it's you know through the process of a completed world. But it, it, at some point in the process, you do become pretty clearly in contact with that part of yourself in a way that can feel. Um, dynamic and scary if not held safely and um, just releasing. Um, you know, like a part of you that's been desperate to be known finally gets seen and heard and validated. Uh, it's, it's remarkable to get to be a part of.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so what are some things that would be important for our listeners to know about this work of exploring internal working models through sand? I know one thing just from listening to one of your online webinars, which I recommend to everybody, um, was talking about, and you, you sort of, I think you alluded to it maybe just now a little bit that, One thing I know you talk about is not moving too quickly, right? And creating enough safety.
2: There, there has to be relationship first, and in whatever way we practice therapy, that the client deserves to feel solid and secure, um, and um, believed, and and all of those things, so that when those contacts come, we haven't set them up to leave their window of tolerance, that we've earned the right to be a good co-regulator. Um, and so there's there gets to be a gentle, slow progression. And so much of that has to do with just honoring the materials. I think a lot of people hear Santre and they just go straight to thinking about how are we gonna make meaning of this world um, that gets created and, and forget that the materials are very intentionally chosen to create, you know, what we would now call bottom-up processing. That you're getting sensory contact and getting to feel safe with that part of yourself just by being with the sand. And I like to have two or three varieties of sand so that people start having some choice and feeling and honoring um this is what I need today. I don't even have a way to describe it, but I need the more coarse or I need the color or I need the smooth and the fine. And then water is a part of that, you know, getting the fluidity mixed in all of this happening in a container, a literal container. This tray is such a a wonderful representation of being held and supported. And so all of those elements Um, need to be embraced and honored uh, before we throw clients too deeply into complex, you know, metaphor. Um, But honestly, the other reason I love Santre is most of the time, um, if it's a practiced uh, clinician who's, you know, done their own work to get there, um, clients are only going to make the meaning that they're ready to see And so even when they get to the world making and the processing um, metaphor is unfolding. And so they may only be able to see one small part of what they will ultimately come to three sessions later because those images live with them and, and stay alive in their minds and return to our sessions. So the materials themselves set us up really well to do safe progression of contact with the internal working model
1: yeah yeah i love what you were talking about with the the sand tray being an actual container you know because we we talk a lot in our you know all, all the way back to winnicott talking about a whole creating a holding environment and how it's you know i think if you come at things from an attachment orientation, you know, it's particularly, it, well, it's important in all therapy, but I think we we maybe talk about that a bit more and to have that go from, you know, metaphor to something so concrete as the sand tray. It's just, t- talk a little bit more about that because that's really, that's a fascinating aspect of this to me.
2: One of my rituals of when I'm introducing the, the sand tray, to people is, you know, I'll have them put their hands in the sand, like we mentioned, but then I'll also have them take their finger and their eyes and trace the borders. And as we just bring into our awareness that this experimentation we're about to have of making contact with world, uh, our inner world inside this tray is going to be held by these walls. Mm -hmm. And there might be times when we start to feel overly activated and we can take our eyes off of the images and onto the walls and, and as a way of embracing the metaphor of containment. And we, we just find such rhythm, um, my clients and I, and getting to go back and forth between being in the world and then being in the exterior of it um, in the, in the similar way Ana Gomez who's a wonderful Santre and EMDR teacher talks about titrating and so you are allowing clients to understand that they get to titrate into their awareness of contact with painful elements and so we always have to highlight what's safe and grounding and containing so they know if they need to regress a bit and pull back out um, that they know where that safety where that safety is uh, and it's it's a really cool thing to watch the other thing about the tray itself and those walls is it changes very much depending on the shape of the tray it's oh really very yeah it's it's remarkable to watch well
1: I've seen some of these hexagon trays and different things and um you know uh yeah, so let's hear about that a little bit
2: yeah. The probably the most standard, the the longest standing um, standard tray would be the rectangle. And it's usually the dimensions are 20 inches by 30 inches. Um, uh, However, um, more and more um, people are finding the joy of the round tray. um, And yet, you know, the, the round tray doesn't have corners. And so there are fewer places for things to hide. And it's a little Harder um, to create the metaphor of high of of um, boundary or the metaphor of evasion.
1: Yeah, I'm not. maybe that's why I'm not liking the round
2: tray. <laughs> what I found is that when I have the round tray available, plants will often go to the round tray in the later parts of treatment.
1: Ah, oh, okay. As they're
2: moving to integration.
1: Okay. Like, they
2: then don't need the corners as much. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah. Then,
2: yeah, so it's kind of the mandala, you know. Of yeah, is the, the round. So the hexagon or the octagon is this in between.
1: Yeah, I was yeah. like, wait a minute. When I said that, I'm like, wait, was it an octagon or was it a hexagon?
2: They are both. They okay, they're, okay. They're both in, out there, and and so you you get the round ish shape of the mandala, but you still have some of the corners.
1: Yes. Uh,
2: that you would with the rectangle. So um, that's kind of a hybrid of the two. But it's interesting because I will frequently in supervision. Especially in the the later parts of clinical supervision, when I'm trying to encourage um, interns developmentally to be ready to do that launching, um, they might build a world in supervision in a rectangle, and then I'll ask them to take those exact same figures, trace their finger around the round tray, and then put those same figures in the round, and to notice how do they have to relate to one another differently when that version of that linear element is removed um from the from the processing and so I, the shapes and the borders are these things that we we forget are part of the metaphor um available to us in the work in ways that um people aren't always expecting and they're not even always understanding how that's um aiding their contact with their inner world.
1: Yeah, yeah well you know as I'm looking to purchase like find a sand tray you know and after I grow beyond uh, you know my budget grows big enough to not use like a sterile plastic tub or <laughs> whatever they're called you know um you know I saw the different ones and I thought yeah, I wonder you know I thought I like the rectangle one just because that's what I've seen a lot and a couple, the, the very few trays I've done, I've only done like two myself were yeah. in a rectangle, but it's interesting to hear more of what you're saying about it.
2: Yeah. And it can be an expensive um, modality to practice. And so yeah. you, you do have to be conscientious and believe that any supplies are good enough. You know, wherever you are is good enough to start. And you will be able, just like in so many forms of, of, of good attachment-based work, you'll be able to do good work if you do good relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and over time, you know, you'll, you'll bring in added tools. My round trays are still, I, I still don't have wooden ones because they're expensive. Um, one of my woodworker friends said, yes, it's hard to make wood round that takes time. And That's space. true, I never <laughs> thought of that. I
1: mean, it's true. <laughs> so
2: I use um, terracotta planter bottoms at Home Depot.
1: Yeah. You put them
2: in any shape and they hold blue paint perfectly and they're very, very cheap. Um, so you, you do find your way into realizing. Um, and
1: yeah. just to let people know, maybe you wanna say if they're not familiar with Sand Tray, the blue paint is why.
2: The blue paint is a standard um, inside the tray on the bottom and the walls of of our sand trays. Generally, regardless of shape, um, blue is um, believed to offer yet another layer of metaphor. Um, It's soothing for one, but it also will get used as water as the sand is cleared away or sky on the walls of the tray um, to make it a little more expansive. There are people who have alternative trays um, who will you know, paint the bottom of it to look like fire um, or um, water specifically, like we'll put like wave elements in there. So there are more and more creative options for doing that but the standard is just um, a light blue.
1: Yes, yes. So we're gonna say you have your sand tray, you've done some some of this safety work. So some some, even some of what you were talking about with the edges of the tray sort of reminded me about thinking of EMDR and safe place. But anyway, there's a way to like retreat from things that are getting to be too much. And so let's assume a lot of that work has been done and you're ready to move more actively into trying to explore internal working model. Not that you might necessarily use that language of the client, um, I don't know if you do or you don't um, but uh, what what might be some next things that happen
2: usually um, you, you know your your personal theory is going to show up here, and yes. the way that you shape your treatment plan and um, are you practicing yeah. a more person centered view of an attachment orientation, or I was trained Adlerian, um, and so you know all of all of those clinical models can still have a really solid attachment foundation and integration, but they will also inform your your treatment approach. My personal approach is to start very non-directively and to let the first one or several trays with the client to just be the generic create a world in the sand and then to watch how um they interact with certain elements you know how how free are they with creativity um can they sustain curiosity without falling into judgment um are they um someone who when presented with information like uh, with their own story development will quickly look to shut it down and to resolve it prematurely or get lost and overwhelmed and confused in the narrative um, which is you know are all I these about and- the,
1: the AAI AAI. classifications yeah. are going like crazy popping yeah. in my head yeah well so i'm so glad you're talking about this part because you know as a novice and i'm, I'm sure there's many others who had I- I initially thought, well, you just analyze what they put in the sand. You know, and I wasn't even thinking about um, before I started learning more about I mean I just looking afar, like what is Santra? and you know I, I, some therapist I knew took a picture of it and brought that to supervision. So I had this like real focus on what is in the actual tray and was not even really thinking about, Oh, there's a whole process of what goes in that tray that has to be paid attention to very carefully.
2: There's so much from how do their hands choose figures? Is it with conviction or hesitation you know, do they become indecisive, returning to one shelf, touching things, putting them back, or is it very fast and they choose a few things, drop them in seemingly haphazardly in their placement, you will start to see dismissive and preoccupied and secure and disorganized element. I mean, they will be everywhere. And and before you ever get to the story, um, it, it will present itself in this very enlivened way
1: that's so fascinating
2: it is it's remarkable and that's part of me being a container is i feel really privileged that i have these quiet moments of attunement in therapy of just getting to hold space and watch them and because i feel we know in attachment theory we talk about we learn so much about People's um, inner worlds through nonverbal communication. But in therapy, we can accidentally fall into this rhythm of being so verbal that we don't get these concentrated moments of nonverbal attunement. And then, Santre, because you tend to be quiet when they're creating, you are getting to take in their body's communication in a way that I find really sacred and lovely. Uh, and And even uh, speeds up some of what I come to know about about my clients.
1: Oh, that is just so fascinating. Well, hey, we are gonna take a break here as we get ready to record um, part two. It'll be this podcast will be released in two segments. So um, I am eager to get back to this discussion.
0: This concludes part one of the two-part conversation between Karen Doyle Buckwalter and Marshall Lyles on his work with Sand Tray Therapy. Part two will be released on Tuesday, October 13th. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchattock.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to tkcchaddock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.